like Zach said, my name is Pastor Luke. Um, we're so thankful that you guys are here today. I get the privilege every single week to serve at our Fremont campus as our high school pastor there. Um, and uh, this is actually my first time speaking at Tiffin, so I'm excited about that. Um, well, thank you. I, I don't normally get an applause for that, those type of things. But uh, um, I have actually my, married my wife, Rachel, and we have two little kids. Um, our daughter, who's going to be five in September, and then we have a son who's uh, about to turn one. And so we are blessed. He kept me up all night last night, and I'm really annoyed now. Um, but uh, he's, he's a blast. Um, but you guys are blessed here at Tiffin. You got Zach, um, you got AJ, Blaine, Nick. You guys have an amazing team that gets to lead you guys. And in fact, I, I've known Zach for a while. Yeah, Zach's, a, those guys are, they're all great. Uh, I know Zach for a long time. Um, and we grew up together. I was always young, I'm younger than Zach, so I'm looking, always looked up to Zach a little bit. Um, in fact, one time when we were growing up, our families went over uh, to Pennsylvania. His family had a hotel. My family had a hotel. And what we did was we visited each other's hotels. We thought it would be fun. And, you know, whose pool's got the better pool? Uh, and so we would go, and one time we went and swam at their family's hotel pool. And, uh, and I'm, you know, younger than Zach, so I'm trying to hang out with them. Um, and... Zach must have decided I needed to be put in my place or something because he decides that he would take his hand, put it on my head, and he would dunk me underwater. And for me, it felt like an eternity underwater, which maybe is why some of you haven't signed up for baptism is because you're afraid that it's actually going to keep you underwater. Um, but I, I, I felt like I was under forever, and then I came up, and I'm little. I was tiny at that point, and so I start crying, and then Zach's mom comes up to me, and she's like, hey, what happened? And I was like, hey, Zach shoved me underwater. He's a big bully. And uh, then uh, she yelled at him, and I won because I got him in trouble. So ha-ha, Zach. Um, but that was kind of our relationship. We, uh, he was my first boss. He was a tough boss, good boss. Whatever. But then we did youth ministry for a while together. And, and Zach, one thing I really always appreciated about him, never really told him this, uh, but I, I really appreciate about Zach is that he is someone that taught me in a way to, hey, you should pray boldly. Um, and he, he was always challenging me hey, uh, on that, that we should be praying more boldly. And, and it would be kind of interesting. I was thinking about this week. It would be kind of fun to just be able to sit in on Zach's prayer. That, I know that's a weird thought, but it, just, it, was, it was in my mind. And I'm thinking, that'd be nice. Because in John 17, what we are kind of invited into, which would be cool with, to hear Zach pray, but more importantly, in John 17, we get to be invited in to hear Jesus pray. And, uh, and why it makes it a unique chapter in this series that we're in, going through the Gospel of John, the book of John, is that after John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross, right? He's, he's about to uh, be betrayed. He's about, to, uh, he, he's about to be beaten and mocked, spit on. He's about to be nailed to the cross, crucified as a criminal. He's about to have a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he knows all those details are about to come his way. He, he's... he's 
that's got to be on the back of his mind in John 17. And it is. And so when Jesus is about to go to the cross, what is he praying about? That's what we get, you and I get invited in to see in John 17. So look at verse 1 with me. It says this. Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And if you remember earlier in, the, in John, Jesus is at a, a wedding. And he looks at Mary, his mom, and, he, and, and she's trying to get him to perform a miracle. And, and, and Jesus is going, hey, my hour hasn't come yet. Now here in John 17, he's going, hey, my hour, my time has come to glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you've given him. He's praying what is on his mind before he goes to the cross. He's praying that God would be glorified, both the Father and the Son. They would be glorified. Jesus is saying he has all authority. He has all authority has been given to him to do what with? To grant eternal life, to give eternal life. And this is why he goes on in his prayer and he says in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the the only true God and and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to know how to have heaven? You want to know how if, if you died today on the way home, let's hope not, but if you die on the way home, Do you want to know what grants you eternal life, what gives you, what gets you into heaven? It's not how good you are. Do you know Jesus is the one true God? See, I I was watching a YouTube video this last week, and as I was kind of studying, um, and uh, I saw somebody use verse 3, and it was a, Muslim using verse 3 and saying, look, Jesus is, he's denying that he's God here in in John 17, verse 3. That's not what's happening. Jesus just said in verse 2, he has all authority has been given to him to do what? To grant eternal life. Who has the power to grant eternal life? Only God. And so it's not Jesus is denying his deity. Jesus is saying he's God. He's the one and only true God. And, and, and to come to that conclusion, you're also forgetting, you're look, not looking at the context of what's going on in John 17, and you're also forgetting all the context of what Jesus has done in his life. See, in the Jewish culture, they, they would never use God's name because they were afraid to use, misuse it. They wouldn't even write it out, so they would take out the vows, so they, they weren't misusing God's name. But what does Jesus do over and over again? He uses God's name. He speaks God's name and doesn't just speak it, but he gives it to himself. His his claim is that he is the only, the one and only true God. He's consistent in that. And you're forgetting, if you, to come to that conclusion, you're forgetting the rest of Scripture. You're forgetting what it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus being the word was with God and was God. 
completely. Paul wrote in Colossians 2.9, for Jesus, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. In Jesus, Jesus is fully God in human flesh, in human form. The writer of Hebrews says the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God. He has come in this time, in this moment, to provide the purification, provide the way. What does he say earlier in John? John 10, 9, that he is the door. He's the gatekeeper. John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to heaven except through him. He has all authority, has been given to him. And so he, what, what is on the mind of Christ before, he's a, before he goes to the cross is that God would be ultimately glorified. Through the work that was going to be completed. Look at verse 4. He says, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What is the work that he's coming to complete? To go to the cross. Provide a way. To become the door, the gatekeeper. To prove who he is. And, and he doesn't stay dead, right? He, he, he dies on the cross. He doesn't stay dead. Why we celebrate Easter? That he is risen. And then he eventually ascends back to his rightful place, like the writer of Hebrews says, that he's on his throne. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus is fully God with full authority. And only through him can he grant, only through him, he grants eternal life to you and to me for any of us that would believe. This is why we call this the high priestly prayer. Because in the Old Testament, a priest would go into the, to the temple once a year, into the holy of holies. And he, in that, in that place, would create a, and offer a sacrifice on the altar. And in doing that, it would be a covering, a temporary covering for sin. It wasn't the ultimate game plan. The game plan was that God would send himself to become our high priest. That he would, with his full authority, pay for, provide a way for you and I to be made right by him laying himself down as a lamb going to the slaughter, putting himself down as a spotless lamb so that we can be forgiven if we would trust in Jesus. That we would believe, we would know that he is the one true God. And so Jesus prays next that that. that 
ultimately that when he reascends back to heaven, that this is what the Father would do. Now he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. This is what's on his mind. Before he's going to the cross, that God would ultimately be glorified. Father, Son, be glorified in the work that he's completing. And, and then he switches what he's praying for. And he starts praying for the people he's done life with, ministry with. And, and he says this in verse 6. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Now, now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. And, and they received them and, and have known for certain that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. They, they've received, they've acknowledged, they know who I am. They've trusted in that. They believe in this. In, in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. Who's he praying for? He's praying for the people he's done life with. This is what's on his mind. Before he goes to the cross, he's praying for them. He's praying for the disciples. He's praying that they would be exactly what he, as they walked and taught and they learned from Jesus and heard him teach, that they would live out what he was teaching them. That they would be shepherd. They would be fishermen, fishers of men. They would realize they were sent into the world. And they haven't been given even yet the great commission, right? But he's praying that they would be who he's called them to be. They would be bold. They would proclaim what Jesus has done. Even though Jesus knows in a short time, Peter's going to deny him. He's praying for him. He's praying for them. And he's praying for also people like Nicodemus. You remember in John 3, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was this religious leader guy. And Jesus goes to, looks at Nicodemus and is like, hey, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is understanding. He's thinking, he's thinking I, I'm fully grown. I'm, uh, this doesn't work. And uh, Jesus, trying to help him out, is like, hey, this is what I'm talking about. You have to have new life in me. Finally, it clicks for Nicodemus, and he accepts the invitation that Jesus is offering to him. And Jesus is praying right here in John 17 for, hey, Nicodemus, that he would be bold in sharing his faith, sharing to others what Jesus has come to do, the work that Jesus has completed, that he would turn to the religious leaders who are trying to earn their salvation, that they would find freedom in the fact that we don't have to earn it, that Jesus has done the work. He's praying for Nicodemus. He's praying for like a woman that he encountered in John chapter 4 at the well, remember? Where she comes to the well and she's filled with guilt and shame from her past. And when she encounters the real Jesus, she finds freedom in him. It's so much so that she runs into town and she starts to tell the town that she was afraid what they were thinking before she met Jesus. And now that she knows Jesus, she runs into town and she starts proclaiming to the town, come and see this man who knows everything that I've done. Could he be Messiah? 
Could he be the savior of the world? Come and see. Jesus praying for her that she would continue to proclaim, continue to tell her story. He's praying for a guy like the blind man in John 9, who, who the disciples look at Jesus and say, who sinned? Was it this guy or was, was it his parents? And Jesus is like, no, this is a result of the broken world. This isn't a result of their sin. This is a result of all of, our, all of people's sin. That we, because of our sin, the world is broken. It's not what it should be. And Jesus doesn't just heal him physically. More importantly, he heals that man spiritually. He prays that for this guy that he, in a second, he's praying that this guy would be more, he could be able to use what he now has to be able to tell people about Jesus. He's praying for Lazarus, Mary, Martha, he's praying for them. He's praying for these first century believers. It goes on in verse 9, it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. He's not praying for everybody. He's praying for them. But for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And I am glorified in them. Man, they bring me glory. And the way they live, and the way they honor me. I, I'm, not, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. That's Judas. So that the scripture may be fulfilled. And by the way, he's not saying here, hey, you can lose your salvation. He's not saying that. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Judas was never his. But once we are truly saved, hey, we are not going to be lost. We're his. He goes on, he says, now I'm coming to you, and I, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. What's Jesus praying? What's on his mind for the first century believers? That they would be protected. That they would find joy, joy from the completed work of Christ. They would be filled. They would find, that, find hope in that. They would be protected. Why? Because the world is going to hate them. Just like the world has hated him. You know, I was, I was thinking about this and thinking, oh, okay, this is a kind of a strange verse. A few verses. Here's Jesus praying, praying for them to be protected. Think about all the disciples. They all died. As church history tells us, they all died pretty bad deaths because they loved Jesus. 
So is his prayer not answered? Well, no. Jesus praying, what he says next is that they would be protected from from the evil one. Because their home is not here. Their home is eternity with him. He keeps going. He says that they are, are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What's the word sanctified? Sanctified. It just means to be set apart different for a mission, a cause. So when Jesus says, I sanctify myself, he's saying, I set apart myself for them to complete the work. To accomplish the mission. But he also says about them, what is on his mind is he's praying that ultimately the disciples, the, the early church, the first century believers, they would be sanctified. He prays that God would be glorified, but he prays for them that they would be sanctified. They would be set apart. They would be different. And how? Through truth. Who's truth? What is truth? Jesus says, I'm the way, the li- I'm truth. In John 14, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And then he goes on, he says, your word is truth. So Jesus is praying that they would be sanctified, they would know him, they would understand what he's come to do. They would be set apart because of him. But they would also be set apart because of the word. And you know, I remember how Jesus is praying that they would be protected. Paul echoes that in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. He says, hey, for you and for me, how, how can we be protected is that we put on the full armor of God. Because we have an enemy, Satan. Like the, Peter writes, he says he is like a lion looking for someone to devour. Whereas Jesus says that he, he, is, uh, he is looking to steal, kill, and destroy our life. So Paul, in writing in chapter 6 in Ephesians, he says, hey, put on the full armor of God so that you can avoid, you can be protected against the schemes of the enemy. And he starts with a piece of armor for protection, and the first piece of armor is the, the belt of truth. So Jesus, when he's praying, he's praying that they would know him that they would know him and they would know his word. And that would protect them from the evil one. And that they would live out that they are sent on a mission. That they are sanctified, set apart. They are different. And you know what the church does? You know the history? In Acts 1, Peter goes in. The guy that, pro- that, that denies Jesus. And you got Peter and Acts going and proclaiming the gospel. And thousands come to know Jesus. And in the early church, they are together. They're realizing they're sent. They're realizing they're sanctified. They're set apart. 
than the rest of the world. Jesus is praying what's on his mind before he goes to the cross. He's praying that God would be glorified, that the church in that time would be sanctified. And then he, he starts to pray again, and he says this in verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. I was sitting me this week, and I'm reading through this chapter, and I haven't read through it in a while, and I'm reading through, um, and Jesus, before he's going to the cross, what he's praying about is us. Isn't that remarkable? He's praying for you and for me. He's praying for us, and what is his prayer for us? He prays, he keeps going, and he, he says this. Verse 21, may they all be one. As you, Father, and I are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. He's praying that you and I we would be unified. Praise that God would be glorified, that the church at that point was going to be sanctified, set apart, different for a mission to tell the world what Jesus has done. And then he prays for us, that we would be unified. And for some of us, we've been like, hey, I've been in a church, and it wasn't unified. Just because we don't always act like it, doesn't mean that we aren't unified. It's, we're just stupid sometimes and we don't act like it. But we are one, just like the Father and the Son are one. Believers are one because of Jesus, because of the completed work, because of his blood and what he's accomplished. We are united Jesus goes on, verse 23, he says, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. We're, we're not, we, we're one. We're made united. That the world may know you sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. You know what God's plan is to, to reveal to the world his love? Us being united. That's his plan. The church being united because in a world filled with chaos and that we can't agree on anything, the world needs the united church. It needs the church to be united on what he's done, on his work. The question would be really, why aren't we in moments? And when we aren't, we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of what he's done. So if Jesus is praying, right before he goes to the cross, and he's praying that God would be glorified, 
do you live in a way that you glorify God with your life? And if, if he's praying right before he goes to the cross that the church would be sanctified, they would be set apart. Are you di- living your life differently than the rest of the world? Because you're called to a mission. That you, are, you realize you're sent. That this is not our home. It's our temporary landing place before we get to ultimately go home. Are you living? Set apart, sanctified. Are you living unified? If Jesus is thinking about us being unified before he goes to the cross, are we living that way? Let me show you out an example of how we can do all three of those things this morning. In a couple of weeks, here in Tiffin and Fremont uh, and uh, over in Northwood, all of our campuses, we are, we're doing baptism. You know one of the greatest ways to show, hey, you want to glorify God with your life, you want to be set apart, you want to be unified with the church, is to be baptized. And, and think about this. When you decide, hey, I'm going to get dunked underwater on, on, on stage, and while everybody around in this room is watching, what is it sh- saying? What, what are you doing? Baptism isn't what saves you. It's a, it's a result of us being saved. It's what we do. It's the, the next step after we make a decision to follow Jesus, realizing he is the one and only true God, that he has completed the work, and I've, want, I've asked him, admitted to him that I'm broken, and I believe that he died on the cross to provide the way that he was the door for me. So I, I, I confess, I'm going to give him my life, and I, I've given him not just part of me, but the whole, all of me. If you made that decision, the next thing you should do as a believer is get dunked underwater as a symbol that you went from death to life when you gave Jesus your life. And when you do that, and you proclaim to everybody watching that Jesus has changed your life, guess who gets glorified? Him. And guess what you do when you do decide to do that? Because you're obeying him, his word, and you put your faith, trust, and hope in him, you are sanctified. You're set apart because you're allowing the world to know, hey, I'm different. Because I know the living God. And then when you are dunked underwater, you know what else you are? You're united as the, with the church. Because we're going, hey, we are celebrating this individual, this person who's being dunked underwater because they're proclaiming to everybody watching that they know Jesus. And guess what? This is just a grand big old party of people getting dunked underwater. You're united. It's one of the greatest days as a church. Watching people get saved, there's nothing better. Watching people get baptized because they are falling after Jesus. Man, it's exciting. For some of you, you need to take that step. You can do that. You can sign up on hollowgrace.com slash events. Do not wait. Be bold. Make that decision to follow Jesus 
in believers' baptism. But as believers, we are commanded, like Paul says, so whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So when, when Jesus is praying, again, about God would be glorified, that we would be sanctified, that the, the church would be unified, the question is, is that seeped into every aspect of our life? So when you, some of you, you're dating right now. Let me ask you, are you dating in a way that brings God glory? Are you set apart? Are you sanctified in truth? Or are you buying into the enemy's schemes in the way you date? See, the church should be united because we, find, we are following his word. So in the way you date, are you following God? Are you obeying him? How about your marriage? You know, your marriage, God wants you to do your marriage differently than everybody else. We shouldn't be like what the world says, hey, is a perfect model of marriage. No, we're following Jesus. We want him to be at the center of our marriage. So when we fight, and we're going to fight every once in a while, and where we fight, we fight for each other, not with each other. We fight for our marriage. We forgive we move forward. Husbands, you take the lead and you lay your life down like Christ laid his life down. You love your wife in that way. And wives, when your husband is doing that, man, it makes it easy to follow him. Because you know, hey, if my husband is denying himself daily, and that's the way he's showing me love and it's easy to respect him and come alongside of him and say, you know what, I want to do life with you. We do our marriage differently because we're set apart. We're wanting to bring him glory. We want to point others towards him and the way we do our marriage. But it, it doesn't just stop with our marriage. It goes into the way we raise our kids. Are you raising your kids differently than the rest of the world? Or, or is the world look, looking at you and the way you raise your kids and they're just thinking you're just like any other parent? Are you pointing your kids to truth? Are you pointing them to Jesus? Are you pointing them to the word? Are you pointing them to be united in the church? Are you allowing them to just have drama with other people? Are you reminding them of the blood and the work of Christ? Are you reminding them, hey, to glorify God with their body and with their life? It shouldn't be the world raising your kids. It shouldn't be Netflix. It shouldn't be Disney. It shouldn't be the government. It should be you pointing your kids towards Christ. You should talk different. You should work different because you don't work for people. You don't work for man. You work for God. We're set apart. We're sent on a mission because our home isn't here. This isn't our home. And Jesus ends his prayer, and, he, and he's, as he's continuing to pray, he's praying for you and praying for me. He's praying for us. He reminds us of that. He prays at the very end. He goes this in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory. Think about this. This, this verse alone 
stood out to me as like the, one of the most remarkable verses in this whole chapter. Think about Jesus is about to go to the cross to pay for all of our sin. And what is he thinking about? At the very end of his prayer, he's going, God, Father, I want them to be with me. Can't wait for that. For them to be with me. For you to be with him in heaven. Why? So that you can see his glory. He's praying that you, he's praying for you. I long for the day that they are with me in eternity where there's no more pain, suffering, death, that they're with me and they get to see my glory. He keeps going, which you've given me, see they, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they, they have known that you sent me, and I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. praying before he goes to the cross that God would be glorified that church would be sanctified set apart for the mission that they realize they were, they're sent to tell the world about the accomplished work of Jesus that he's the way, the truth, the life he's the doorkeeper he has all authority to grant eternal life. That they're sanctified. And that the church is unified because of what he's done. That's what's on his mind. That's what's on the mind of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Stand with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you so much for Tiffin Grace. And God, we thank you so much that how what you've been doing here, the lives that have been touched, the lives that have given themselves over to you. And God, I pray that you would continue to use Tiffin Grace to do incredible, amazing things. And I also pray that we would realize that we're sent because of what you've done, Lord, we can't keep this message to ourselves. That we have to go and tell the world what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I pray we'd be faithful in that. That we would be set apart. We would be sanctified. That we would be unified. And, Lord, I pray that we would make you known so that you get all the glory. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.